Let's say together, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the people of God are all we need and we need each desperately. We need some people to teach and we need some people to sing. We need some that can play the guitar. We need some that can serve. We need some that can listen. We need some that are able to organize a meal. I, uh, some of you may not even be aware of this, but we have a wonderful ministry uh, when we uh, are unfortunate enough to have a funeral situation. Barbie Ledford and her team are just, are just the very best at getting a family meal together and ministering to the grieving family. And, and I just want to say thank you to Barbie and all her team. Laura's here and many others are here. All right. So we're going to get back on David now. We can kind of off a little bit because of the summer and different things. And I just felt like the Lord had me go a different direction for a little while. And so for a while, perhaps we'll get back on it. And we left off in uh, 1 Samuel 29. And so today we'll pick up 1 Samuel chapter 30. David's son, Solomon, says in Ecclesiastes, it's better to finish than it is to start. Now, there is a lot of excitement in starting. School starts pretty soon. Lots of excitement. A fresh start. Algebra 2 is on the horizon. Algebra 1 was a dinosaur. It was a beast. It was a difficult process. And it was a nightmare for you. Well, year two comes along. You barely got out of Algebra 1, but grace is always good for some. And you jump back in, and Algebra 2 starts up now. And you have a fresh start, and so there may be some excitement about it. Well, just remember, it's better to finish than it is start. That same in relationships. A young couple come forward to be hitched. They're so excited. It's such a wonderful thing, and everybody's crying and happy and joyful, and, and the dad is broke and, you know, and all that's going on. And, and they're so excited. It's, it's better to finish than it is to start. And, and many times in marriages, you've got to labor through those difficult times. Uh, marriage counselors and marriage experts talk about the seven-year cycle. Everything's good, usually, for the first seven years, and then things begin to happen. Well, after seven years, you just about start getting to know each other, and then you start scratching your head and say, oh my, what have we done? And then seven more years go by, and life gets very hectic, and there's some transitions that happen, and, and it just cycles over and over and over, right? And just keep in mind that you might be going through some difficult days, but it's better to finish than it is to start. So that book, that scripture in, in Ecclesiastes tells us, hang in there, hang in there in, with, your, with your marriage, hang in there with your schoolwork, hang in there. You may believe that God has something for you. There's something that God has set before you and you believe it's gonna happen and, and you, you've been moving forward to receive that promise to receive the fulfillment of what God has said to you. 
Well, you start moving forward and it just seems to be further away and further away and further away and you just don't seem to ever be able to get there. Well, the truth is, if God has indeed given you a promise and he said, this is going to happen, you move forward, this is what you need to do, these are the decisions you need to make and it looks like it's just further and further, the truth is, you may not be ready yet. You just may not be ready yet. As we've been going through 1 Samuel, you can't help but ask the question, why in the world did God put up with Saul so long? I mean, God had intended early on because of Saul's disobedience that, that he was not going to hang on with Saul very long. Saul had forfeited his right to be the uh, king any longer. He had disobeyed God, and God selected David to be the new king. But my goodness, for David, it's, it probably seems like this never, ever going to happen. I mean, David's on a roller coaster. He has some good experiences, and then by his choice, he has some real bad experiences. And he's up and down, up and down, just like life is just like life is. And I'm sure David has moments when he thinks back, I wish I was still out there with the sheep. I, I, I wish I it was a lot simpler when all I would do in the evening is just scare off wolves and, and predators with my slingshot. It was a lot easier when, when all I had to deal with was those 100 or 150 sheep through the day. Take them to where the water is. Take them to where the fresh grass is. Take care of them at night. Bring them all in the pen and take care of them. That was a simple life. He wasn't, he wasn't hunted. At least if he was hunted, it was being hunted in a, an environment that he, was dealt, he could deal with. He, he had learned how to handle uh, being out there in the, in the sheep uh, fields and taking care of those sheep. But now his life had become so complicated the selection to be the next king put him in uh, Saul's court. He had to deal with that nut job Saul. He had to hang on. And, and now he's got all, he's got 600 men and their families that he's caring for, that he's dealing with. And, and I'm sure David would wake up in the morning and he would look around and he would, you know, just take a little evaluation of what was going on, and he went, how in the world did I get myself in this mess? Is it ever going to work out? Am I ever going to see the light at the end of the tunnel? Am I ever going to have peace again? Am I ever going to have a simple life again? Will I ever get to the point where I can go to bed at night and just, just enjoy sleep? And I'm sure that David would benefit from hearing the truth. It's better to finish than start. Hang in there. You're not ready yet, David. And we find David in chapter 30, he's not ready yet. If he would have been the king, it would have been a disaster before it was time for him to be king. And oftentimes, isn't that how we, we, we work? We get impatient. We think that the ship should have already come in. We think that the education process should have already been accomplished, should have been done, that, that the projects at business should have already been worked out. 
and, and here we are laboring, and it seems like we've got hurdle after hurdle after hurdle, and we go, God, you have led me here. You have, you have provided. I look back, and I can see all the things that you have put in my life to prepare me for this new venture, to prepare me for this new day, and, and here I am, and it just doesn't seem like it's ever going to pan out. Well, you just might not be ready. And you need to hang on, and you need to put, a, put your foot forward another day and move towards what you believe God has for you. And that's where we find David today. He's just not ready. It doesn't do any good to push the time. It doesn't do any good to push what God is going to do. It doesn't do any good to go to him and say, God, you got to work this out a little better. My time is better than your timing. My ways are better than your ways. Yeah, that, that'll get you in a bad way. And so in chapter 30, we find David in a bad way, in a bad place. It seems like everything is lost. Now, in a, two or three chapters ago, David looked at a situation and he didn't believe that he was ever going to be free of Saul. And he's thinking, if I stay in the land of Judah, I, I'm going to, I'm going to always be having to fight Saul, run from Saul, protect my people from Saul. And, and I've had enough of this. And so David reasoned within himself. He said, the very best thing for me to do is go live with the Philistines. Go live with King Achish. Remember the Philistines? Goliath was a Philistine. The Philistines have been David and Israel's enemy time and time and time again. So David chose to go live with his enemy. He reasoned within himself. He said, this is the very best thing for me to do. Now, he lived with the Philistines for 16 months. During that 16 months, there is no sign in the scripture of David praying. There is no sign in the scripture of David requesting the work of the priests. There, there's no sign of David seeking the Lord's help. In our way of thinking, how we would term this is, David quit going to church, David quit reading the Bible, David quit going to small group, David quit trying to share the Lord with other people, David quit doing the things that he knew God wanted him to do. He was backslidden. He was backslidden. The dictionary defines backslidden to backslide as to relapse into bad habits, sinful behavior, or undesirable activities. David backslid. He no longer sought God. He no longer prayed. And interesting, during these times that he is with the Philistines in enemy land, David penned no psalms. Not one of the Psalms was written while David was with the Philistines. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? There was no going to the Lord, so there was no direct word from God through him to others. He was backslidden. So, David is going to go fight with the Philistines against the, against the Israelites, against Saul. 
and he shows up to fight. He's at the rear of the army, and Achish's commanders look back, and they see David with, with all his people. And they, they go to Achish, and they said, listen, sir, we don't want to go to battle with this guy. We don't want to fight with David. We don't trust him. How do we know he's not going to turn on us? We can't have the enemy in front of us and then go into battle and not be sure that we don't have the enemy also behind us. This could be a way that David could get back into good graces with Saul if he fights against us. We don't want to be sandwiched like this. And, and, and king, the King Achish reasoned with them and said, no, come on, this will work out. This is going to be okay. And, and they refused. He says, we can't fight with that guy. It's a bad idea. And so King Achish was in a bad spot. And so he goes to David and he says, David, you need to get your men together and go back home. And they were given the village Ziklag to live in. You need to go on back. And so the very, and so, and David says, wait a minute, this is an opportunity for me to show our, what we can do and show you how well we can fight. We're with you. Don't, you don't understand what, I don't deserve this kind of treatment from you from day one. I've been nothing but fair. I've been nothing but, but honest before you. But King Achish said, I trust you. I believe in you, but my men don't. So you guys got to go. And so the next morning, David gets the troops up and they go back to Ziklag. And that's where we pick up the story here in chapter 30. Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag. They crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. Man. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. That's a pretty, that's a strong statement, isn't it? You ever wept till you could weep no more? Man, their heart is broken. Can you imagine going home and, and it takes three days to get there, so I'm sure around the campfire at night, I can't wait to see little Junior. I can't, I can't wait to see, you know, Abigail. I can't wait to see my wife. I can't wait to see my children. I can't wait to see my home. Can't wait to sleep in my own bed. Can't wait to sit on my back porch. Just can't wait to get home. We've been gone too long. And when they arrive, it's the, their, their town has been burned to the ground and all their people are gone. And they weep until they can weep no more. David's two wives, Ahinam from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those captured. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters. And they began to talk of stoning him. David has fallen. David has fallen. Up to this point, they would do anything for David. Up to this point, if he said go west and fight, they would gone west and fight. But now, 
they are ready to stone him. Their grief is so strong. They want answers. They, they, they want justice. They believe David is the reason why, in their mind at this time, they've lost their entire family. How did David get there? It didn't happen quickly. I'm sure it happened by he began to worry more than believe. It became because he began to be stressed more than trust what God had next for him. He began to ignore everything God had done in his life. He began to ignore how God hid him from Saul when he was in his sights. He, he began to forget about what it was like when he walked into the circle of, of Saul's army in the middle of the night and, and took his water jar from him. He forgot that, that God had put that whole army in a deep sleep. He had forgotten all the battles that the Lord had won for him time and time and time again. And he replaced faith with human reason, with his own reason, with his own ideas, with his own thoughts. And David found himself in this situation because during those 16 months, because of a lack of belief at the very get-go, he began to trust in himself rather than God. That's what happens to us. That's how we become backslidden. We used to trust God. We used to work by faith, live by faith. We used to pray. We used to seek his ways, his counsel. We used to be in his scripture. We used to be accountable to a small group. We used to be plugged in to a community of believers. We used to attend. We used to be engaged with the body of Christ. And, and, and slowly but surely, one thing stops off, one, another thing drops off, this problem gets too difficult, and we find ourselves no longer walking with the Lord, but we're walking in our own flesh. That's how David got here. That's how David lost his troops. That's how he lost it. They had no business being there in Ziklag to begin with. They're in the enemy's camp, and now their, their town has been burned down, and they have no clue where their families are. But you see in the second part of verse 6, something that's very important. And we see that here at the second part of verse 6, David faces the truth of his situation. He acknowledges his situation. He agrees with God about his situation. He confesses his sin. Because it simply says, but David found strength in the Lord his God. Now for him to find strength in the Lord his God, he had to have a time with God. There was a come to terms meeting. There was a define the relationship between him and God conversation. And he came to the place where he realized that his ways were wrong and God's ways were right. That he was doing things on his own strength and he needed to return to the Lord. In the midst of such a crisis, such brokenness, such deep-seated hurt and pain, David found strength in the Lord. 
the Lord came and lifted his spirit, lifted him to faith, lifted him to hope, lifted him that God is still God and still sovereign. And, and he just needed to get his eyes up and get his eyes off of himself and off of the circumstances and off their situation and, and on to God. It says that he remembers the Lord here and he found strength in the Lord. You see here the grace of God. You might be backslidden today. You, might, you may be saying, you're describing to me exactly the way I am. David is backslidden. That's exactly the way my life is. You say, well, what in the world do I do? You return to the Lord. You go to the Lord and said, I'm backslidden. I have sinned. I have fallen short of what you want for me. I have ignored you, God. I have disobeyed you. I've been living according to my own ways, my own strength. I've been going after my destiny. I've been going after what I want. And God, I now realize the error of my ways. And I didn't realize how far I have backslidden and how I've withdrawn from you. And now I return. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And it says that simply David found strength in the Lord. This is grace, grace, grace. With our Lord, there's just not that, David, you know, enough's enough. I'm going to let you suffer for a while. You're going to have to prove your worth to me. You've got to prove that you mean it. I hear your words. You ever said that to someone? You've been... Uh, your relationship has been broken from them and, and you have a conversation, they return and says, man, please forgive me of, of what happened, what I said, what I did. And, and I want to renew our relationship. I want to be reconciled. And you think, well, I, we'll just wait and see how you do. Well, that's not what God did here. God returned to him. That's the idea of David found strength in the Lord his God. And he says in verse 7 that David began to return to God and he practiced it. He said, then he said to Abiathar, the priest, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought it. Then David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? For 16 months, there's been no correspondence with God at this level. There's been no request of the Lord's instructions. There's been no time where he sought what the Lord wanted. What should I do, David said. Lord, should I chase him? If I chase him, will I catch him? Is, is this a good idea? In other words, the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. What an about face. Because verse 9 says, so David and his 600 men set out. Now think about this. They just have weeped and they could weep no more. There was no more tears. They, they were mad at David and they were about to stone him. And David saw his situation. He saw how bad it was. He saw the errors that he had made and he returned to the Lord and now... Because he has returned to the Lord and he has found strength in the Lord, the men return to trusting in him. God had already restored it. God had already erased what David had created. 
Man, sometimes God does that. Sometimes when we'll just return to God, it may seem that our situation is hopeless. There's nothing good going to come out of all of this. We have made poor choice after poor choice. We just can't get things back on solid ground again. And we can return to the Lord and the Lord can absolutely restore your life immediately. And that's what he did here. The Lord says, go after him. Yep, yeah, go, go get him. You'll recover everything that was taken from you. So verse 9 says, So David and his 600 men set out, and they came to the brook Besor. But 200 of the men were too exhausted to cross the brook, so David continued the pursuit with 400 men. Now, along the way, now, it doesn't say where they're going. It doesn't say which direction they're going. I guess they're, they're tracking it. You know, Tonto gets down on his knees and, and, and he sees the tracks that are there and, and he puts his ear to the ground. And he says, you know, the trackers, the scouts, they were at work. But, but there's no real plan that's been fulfilled here. They're just going because the Lord said go. And that's the way it ought to be. Along the way, they found an Egyptian man in a field and brought him to David. They gave him some bread to eat and water to drink. They also gave him part of a fig cake. I'd like to have some fig cake. I like cakes. I like figs. Good combination. And two clusters of raisins. I like raisins too. So if you're going to make me a fig cake, put a little raisins in there. I think that's a good thing. For he had had anything to eat or drink for three days and nights before long his strength returned. To whom do you belong and where do you come from? David asked him. He said, I am Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. My master abandoned me three days ago because I was sick. We were on our way back from raiding the Carathites in the Negev, the territory of Judah, and the land of Caleb, and we had just burned Ziklag. Will you lead me to this band of raiders, David asked. The young man replied, if you take an oath in God's name that you will not kill me or give me back, to my master, then I will guide you to them. So he led David to them, and they found the Amalekites spread out across the fields, eating and drinking and dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder they had taken from the Philistines and the land of Judah. David and his men rushed in among them and slaughtered them throughout that night and the entire next day until evening. None of the Amalekites escaped except 400 young men who fled on camels. David got back everything the Amalekites had taken, and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. He also recovered all the flocks and herds, and his men drove him ahead of the other livestock. This plunder belongs to David, they said. What a change. Let's kill him to the plunder belongs to David. What a change has taken place. And so David returned to the Lord, and the Lord returned his strength. 
Then David returned to the brook Besor and met up with the 200 men who had been left behind because they were too exhausted to go with him. They went out to meet David and his men, and David greeted them joyfully. But some evil troublemakers among David's men said, they didn't go with us, so they can't have any of the plunder recovered. Give them their wives and children and tell them to be gone. But David said, no, no, my brothers, don't be selfish with what the Lord has given us. He has kept us unsafe and helped us defeat the band of raiders that attacked us. Who will listen when you talk like this? We share and share alike. Those who go to battle and those who guard the equipment. From then on, David made this a decree and regulation for Israel, and it is still followed today. We share and share alike. Some people fight, others guard the equipment. Some people fight, others take care of the business behind the lines. But when we have victory, we share and share alike. When he arrived at Ziklag, David sent part of the plunder to the elders of Judah, now there's a change of heart. Here is a present for you taken from the Lord's enemies, he said. Part of, the, part of the plunder goes to his friends in Judah. The gifts were sent to the people of the following towns David had visited. Bethel, Ramoth Negev, Jadar, Eror, Siphoth, Eshtema, Rakal the towns of the Jeremalites, the towns of the Kenites, Hormah, Borshan, Athak, Hebron, and all the other places David and his men had visited. So David went from being at the bottom of the barrel to the top of the ladder, simply by returning to the Lord. Simply by returning to the Lord. David now focused on others for the first time in a long time. David began to mend all the broken relationships in his life. That's what happens when you return to the Lord. You wanna mend things, you wanna fix things, you wanna get squared away with people that you have been at odds with. Now, there's a couple of things I think are really worth mentioning here about being backslidden. When we're backslidden, we're always at odds with some people. And if your list of the people that you're at odds with, you might ask yourself the question, am I backslidden? How am I getting here? How come all these conflicts are being taken place? Perhaps you're backslidden. Perhaps you're backslidden. Being back, backslidden, it, it zaps you of your energy. It zaps you of your strength. If you find yourself without the energy any longer to face challenges like you once did, you, you might be backslidden. You see, we can be backslidden and, and not realize it. It's a slow process most times. Happens gradually. Small doses of disobeying God, and they add up, 
and we find ourselves overwhelmed, overwhelmed by the disobedience. How long has it been since you had a gut, open, honest conversation with the Lord? How long has it been since you truly sought the Lord's direction? How long has it been since you've had a strong uh, uh, crave to repent of sin? Do you look around you and see that that the more you do, the more you seem to foul up. You're just out of sorts. Return to the Lord. And he is faithful and just, and he is graceful to, gracious to us, and he will return to us. So David, he goes from having all his men ready to stone him to all his men fight two solid days and then they proclaim all the plunder is his. That's a work of the Lord. That's what God did in David's life. David still isn't ready to be king, but he's on his way. He's on his way. To me, it's encouraging to consider that a man after God's own heart was a blackslider. He had backslidden time and time again. But it was those backslidden days that brought him to the closeness to God. That was needed. Help us to understand your word today. Help us to learn from the life of David, Father. I pray for those of us here today that, that may be backslidden, may we return. May we just return today and just return to the joy of our salvation and, and the peace of walking according to your ways. May your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers.